Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So I had a group of these guys and we parked a few blocks away. It wasn't right directly where you would think we'd park because we didn't want our cars to be seen by the police. And so we get out of the car, we start walking down this pathway, and I can start to feel my my heartbeat in my throat. I didn't think it was a good idea, but I, I had to go through with this at this point. So I start to mutter a few words out of my mouth. I'm like, I just don't think I can do this, guys. And the words that came out were, you need to man up. You can't whip out of this now. There's absolutely no way that you can stop now. You're already here. You've got to go through with it. So my desire was so great to be a part of this group of guys. I would do anything that they wanted. So I, I, I climbed the hills. I'm climbing the hill. My breath is gone, and I'm starting to sweat. And I never had that moment where adrenaline meets your heart, and your heart now is telling you to stop, and your mind is saying, what are you doing? And your body gets weak, and your knees are shaking, and you're climbing something, and you're like, I'm going to die if I go through with this. And literally, that's how I felt. I got up to the bridge, and I got to the edge of the bridge, and they said, okay, let's go on the bridge. And now we've got a couple of things for you. No matter what you do, don't lean forward. And no matter what you do, do not reach out your hand. Just tuck in and enjoy the greatest adrenaline of your life. And I was terrified. And so I sat down in the little nook and I put my back against it as tight as I could. And I could start to feel the vibrations. It started on the ground and I could feel it. And that's when I heard the train coming. The train was coming down the track, and it was probably far away, but I could feel the vibration. I could feel the sweat starting to pour. I started to hear the guys hooping and hollering. I started to hear them cheering. And all I could do was pray, God, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Please, if I can get through this, I promise I'll be a pastor someday. (laughs) So as I sit in this little cubicle, and I feel this coming, I can feel the first push of wind. I know you've ever been that close to a train, but the first push of wind almost knocks you over. And the push of wind as it comes through at 60 miles an hour is one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life. Because if I simply reached my hand forward, I would lose my arm. I was so close to this train that I was sitting here going through a ritual to be involved with a group of guys so that I would be able to just fit in. And so, as I sat there and I hear the guys hollering, and I'm sitting here praying, the train passes. And afterwards, they're like, You did it, man! Welcome to the club! You're in, bro! And the truth is, there was no club. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, as I'm telling this story, I can't tell you one name of the guys who did. All I remember is what a stupid thing I would do to be able to be included with a group of guys. And there's a reason why I told you all this on Mother's Day. To put the fear of God in every mother, the stupid things that boys do, right? <laughs> there was no club. I wanted just to be accepted 
And isn't it true that when you stop to think about the type of relationships we have, the thing we do is so much involved with the company that we keep. The people we allow into our lives to have a voice or a say really shape us. When we're young, in our teen years, we don't think of it that way. We are so hungry as a teenager to be accepted, to fit in. I will do anything it takes. But let's be really honest as adults. It's changed, but it's still true. It's changed, but it's still true. You are still willing to do stupid, idiotic, doesn't make sense. You will buy really expensive cars so that people think, oh, no, yeah. Now people are shaking on it, right? We buy expensive cars because that makes us fit into this group. We will do things, get involved with clubs. We will get anything we can so that we fit into a group because we all have this innate desire to belong. As teenagers, and especially as a young teen male, we tend to do things that at the age now of 46, I'm surprised I'm still alive. Girls are much more mature like immediately, so they, they don't do stuff like sitting on a big brick of a train. But we do things, and we don't think about the consequences. But now in our lives, we still have company that we keep. But are you thinking about the consequences? Like, why do we hang around toxic people? What's it about people who are not the influence in our lives that we're willing to put up with so much to be able to have acceptance? Is it that we feel like they love us? Does it feel like we belong? But why do we do this? And why do we allow these people into our lives? Maybe, let's, let's step back, maybe we don't see those people with bad influence. Now, when I got up to the train tracks, I knew it was a dumb idea, but I did not even picture these are, this is a really bad influence in my life. I should make smarter choices. All I thought was, how do I get these guys to accept me? So maybe we don't see them as a bad influence. Or maybe you have relationships in which these people hide it from you, or perhaps you are just afraid of being alone. We do a lot of pastoral counseling, and as pastoral counselors, I can tell you a lot of toxic relationships are built around people not wanting to be alone. And I understand that. There's a reason why gathering points are so popular. There's a reason why churches are popular, bars are popular, clubs are popular. We want to be around people who are like-minded, like, like, like us. And we want to be accepted. Maybe it's the need to be loved. I mean, we all have this desire, right? We want to be loved. So we'll allow a toxic, narcissistic, broken person into our life just because that person says that they love us. Even though they treat you terrible, you are worse off for it. You allow this relationship because of this. They say they love you. Friends, I've heard that so many times. And I've done it myself. I've allowed that myself. So what is it that's going on? What is the larger picture here? We are not considering this big concept, that the company that we keep impacts our lives. One of the things about the scriptures that I, I love, but also is really frustrating for me as a teacher of the word, is this. We look at the scriptures as this book of guidelines of do's and don'ts, and we see it oftentimes through a lens of negativity, if we're honest, right? Meaning this, we see, I'm not doing good enough, I, I don't match up to this, I feel guilt and shame. As opposed to this, the Word of God is life, and it is sending us, this is what a healthy, good life looks like, and it's both for now and for eternity. 
circumcised. Don't hang out with these people. It's not good for you. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 13, 20. This is in the message, so it's a little paraphrase. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. This is, this is the Bible. Let me read this here again. Proverbs 13, 20. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Now, I, I'm not blaming everything and everyone else. That's not what we're going to say. Like, everyone else is the villain, and I'm the good guy, and everyone picks on me, and that's saying that. You are making choices. Like, I made a very stupid choice to sit on the We make our own choices. I'm going to say this. I'm going to challenge you with this. Are you hanging out with wise people, or are you hanging out with fools? And if these foolish people are in your life, is it going well or not well? And I think you all know what the answer is. The Bible is this guideline to say, look, if you want to be a good, strong one, surround yourself with wise people. And wisdom is not knowledge. We have more information, more knowledge than ever before. Ask any Generation Z person, they're going to tell you this. We are smarter than all of you. This literally was a conversation. We are smarter than you and any other generation before us because we have more information by the age of 15 than the average person had in their entire life. And they're absolutely correct. Internet has broken things open the way that they said. That's all 100% true. But is wisdom the same as knowledge? Just because you know a lot doesn't mean that you're using it wisely. And so wisdom looks radically different than simply having information. And so if you want to be around people who know how to live and use knowledge in a way which is God-honoring and right, hang around people who actually live out the Word of God, who are battling for a better life, who are trying and fighting to be more like Christ. If you want to hang out with fools, and then you say, why is my life falling apart? This is the Bible. I didn't write it. I just read it to you guys on Sundays. So today we're going to explore uh, three individuals from the book of Esther. There's three individuals that we're going to look at in the Old Testament in which we're going to see something very unique. This is a great uh, account of, of a young Jewish woman and how the relationships that we see and how they influence inside the story, we're going to see foolishness and we're going to see wisdom. We're going to see what happens when you put yourself around toxic villains. You're just joining us now with a series called Villains. The reason we're going through this is looking through how do these people in scriptures connect with my life. And because we are all people, we have played both villain and we've played hero in our own lives. But we always think that the villain is always out there and I'm always the good guy. That's not true. We're the villain of someone's story. If you don't know that, it's true. You're the villain of somebody's story at some point in your life. I mean, not this group, of course, in the podcasters, right? But not this group. So, we're going to look at Esther. Uh, a little bit of background, if we do the Bible read, the book of Esther is in the Old Testament. It is named after the, the star of the account. This young Jewish girl, her name is Esther. Uh, she was uh, named and uh, taken by Mordecai. So, her parents had died. She has a guardian. Okay? So, she has a step guardian here. And she now is a beautiful, beautiful woman, known for her beauty. She's taken and forced into a beauty pageant. The beauty pageant was to give the king of Persia, did him a new queen. Okay? So she's forced into the beauty pageant. She wins, and now she is the queen of Persia. This is 
is occurring from our history people around 483 BC, 437 BC. And so you have this huge reign of King Xerxes, which is a well known king of that time, both inside and outside scriptures. And Esther comes to be his queen. Okay? That gives you a little background. But during this time, you have to know what's happening. The Jewish people are not in their land of Judah, they're scattered at this point. So they've been overrun, they've been overtaken. All of them are scattered, but now the Jewish people are starting to return their pilgrimage back to Judah. So they're headed on their way back, but Esther and some of the Jews do not. They stay in Persia. Now, why that would happen? There's lots of different reasons, right? Just because they are out there doesn't mean that they're ready to go back, they have their lives established. So you've got the Jewish people are starting to split a little bit, those who are returning back to their homeland and those who are staying here. That includes both Esther and Mordecai. So as we get into this, it's in the city of Susa, the capital. King Xerxes has this whole thing. But before we get to Esther, he has a wife before her. And because of that, we're going to see how he acts. So through this, we'll look at a few key characters and how they influence their decisions. In Esther 1, he has this huge party that's going on that's a seven-day feast for all these guys from Indiana. They're just drinking, partying, and he brings in all these noblemen to have this huge festival of feast, which they're known for in Persia. So he has this huge party, and then he calls for his then-queen, who's Queen Vashti. Say that would be three times. Just kidding. Queen Vashti. Typical name, yeah. Thank you. Good. Podcast is too. Queen Vashti. And Queen Vashti appears and says, this is what I want. I want you to come before me. I want to show all these drunken men how amazingly beautiful you are. Sounds great, hey ladies? So we're in verses 1, 11, and 12. Let me read this to you. It'll be on the screen as well. It says, To bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come, and the king became furious and burned with anger. The text itself doesn't tell us why she didn't appear, but it's actually very curious. One rabbi, it's a rabbinical interpretation, interprets this as this, that she's to appear before him in only her crown. So the demand was to bring Queen Vashti new, showing her power of her crown and the beauty of her figure. And Queen Vashti said, absolutely not. So that's one rabbinical interpretation. Regardless, these were a seven-day feast of drunkenness in which these men were there. There's nothing good that's going to happen between Vashti appearing before them. The intentions were not well. The intentions were not noble. The intentions were not to honor her. The intentions were to use, abuse, and get what they wanted from her. And so Queen Vashti understands that this is not a healthy or good thing, and she says no. This sets King Xerxes off to an unstable, driven by emotion, rant. And he goes to the men around him and says, okay, she just broke the law. What should I do? So this beautiful, most amazing Queen Vashti, he goes off and starts asking, well, what am I supposed to do? And these men now tell her the best thing you can do is tell him, you need to banish her. She's no longer allowed here. She's disrespecting great decisions when you're hammered, right? And so they're telling all this, I don't think she should be here. And all this is happening at the same time because Xerxes is seeing his relationship all about him. It's about his pleasure. It's about what you give me 
and I'm greater than all of you. Big, huge word we use all the time, narcissistic. Here's a picture of a narcissistic relationship. Overly emotional decisions. Willing to hurt others to get what they want. Are names of people in your life popping into your head right now? Because these relationships are used for my pleasure, and I, you are just a stepping stool into what my ultimate desire is going to be. Now we can say, okay, Jason, let's step back for a second. He's a king, his way of doing things. I'll hear you on that. But there were good kings who didn't do stuff like that. There are good kings that we see in scripture throughout history who honored his queen and lifted her up. This is not happening here. He wants her now because I want you. You're here to be me. You're just something to be used. Narcissistic. Maybe you can understand that, or perhaps maybe uncomfortably you are part of that. Maybe, maybe you've been in those relationships that you played that role in someone's life. Perhaps you are the villain. Have a person who would damage people, and I, I speak this to you to just encourage and challenge you this. That is not the way of our God. The way of our God loves people unconditionally. The way of God loves people so very much that they are the highest of what he has created, and he says, I am going to make you in my image. Humans are image bearers, and so it's this beautiful role to play as image bearers. And God values humanity so much that his son came to die that he could save us. Put that in a different context of King Xerxes, who leave body bags to get what they want, who leave brokenness, power, greed, pride, insecurity, all of these things to be able to get what they want. Friends, that is not the way we're supposed to live. And so as Xerxes is making this decision, he's surrounded with men who all agree with him. Who no one says, uh, a king, uh, just a thought, uh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Oh no, because that dude would get killed. He surrounds himself with people who all say, oh yeah, king, yeah, king, yeah, king. And surround himself with yes-sayers so that they, the king can get what he wants out of this situation. And so these type of villains in our lives, we are warned against over and over again. It says this, you need to stay away from foolish people and be around people who are wise because they're going to walk with you through a bad decision. If King Xerxes had been around wise men, the wise men said, brother, you need to stop and honor your king or your queen. You're the king, you hear you, but honor her as well. So you can see this influence that's happening in this king's life. So what do you do? So you're like, Jason, great. I love hear what you're saying. I have those people in my life. What do I do in a relationship that is narcissistic? That is using me, hurting me, abusing me today? I, I want to say two things to you. Okay? First of all, there's relationships that can be changed. Relationships that can be changed. This is what I want to say in relationships that can be changed. Get out. Get out of relationships that can be changed. Now, there's relationships that cannot be changed. There's family. There's spouses. Like, these are the ones that you can't change. You can change where you work. You can change your friend group. You can change who you're hanging out with. I'm talking about, what if I can't change, Jason? I'm married to this person. 
uh, this is my mom, or this is my son, or there's a relationship that's not been changed. This is what I want to say to you about that. First of all, pray, because this is going to be really important. Second of all, model for them what a healthy relationship looks like. But I'm going to say this to you. You never have to be abused by people. That's not the way of God. You don't have to be mistreated. You don't have to be treated poorly. But if this is a relationship that, Jason, this is just my family, I say to you, create boundaries. If that's a new word for you, creating boundaries is creating a space in which you say, I will not allow you to speak to me like that. I'm not going to go through with that. No, I don't approve of that. And friends, that's where counseling comes in and so very powerful. Taking counsel plus the word of God and learning how to create yourself safe boundaries keeps narcissists at bay. And if narcissists don't have a victim, they stop narcissizing. That's that word I'm totally made up. <laughs> so if you are the one in which you can make a change, I know it's hard to make a change. I want to speak directly to our younger people here today. I've had good friends in my life, and I've had bad friends in my life. I've had good people that influenced me and pushed me towards greater, and I've had not great. In, in my life, as a youth pastor, I watched, I was a youth pastor for over a decade, and I watched the same pattern in my life that was in their life as in your life today. And this is the pattern. If you surround yourself with foolish people, you will be foolish. You surround yourself with wise people, you will make wise decisions. I challenge and just challenge our next generation to not surround yourself with foolishness, but instead surround yourself with wisdom. And the only wisdom I can tell you that matters is the Word of God. And so, next generation, I challenge you to fall so madly in love with the Word of God that wisdom comes from you that my generation has failed on. That the next generation would do something that we always dreamed of, which would be start a revival across the entire world, which everybody knows Jesus Christ because they are living out the wisdom of the Word of God. There is no time greater than this, my friends, as we are entering into the last days of the church, that we need wisdom resounding to all generations. And Mosaic Church Gen Z was built for you. We're multi-generational, but we have built this to equip the next generation to know wisdom and know the Word of God. And so, friends, we love you, we see you, but foolishness is just as rampant as much as information is because of the internet. So I challenge you, my friends, love wisdom in that. I want to turn our attention into a different group. Uh, we're looking to a character named Haman. Haman is a mastermind behind the story. This is where Queen Esther is going to start entering into the story. Queen Esther now, so Vashti's gone. Uh, Esther comes into the story and unhappy, of course, is not what she wanted. She was basically slave taken because she wanted beauty in the contest. So she's not in this. And Haman is a mastermind behind the story of Xerxes. Again, the foolishness. And Haman has a very interesting relationship. He hates the Jewish people. And he hates that these people are here. And he says this. He goes to Mordecai, who's related to Esther, right? Who is a caretaker. And says, you need to bow down and worship me. And he says, absolutely not. I'm not going to bow down and worship you. We bow down and worship one God and one God only. And so Mordecai says, no. Haman goes back and says, hey, there's this people group among your people, and I think 
they are very toxic. Check this out in Esther 3, verses 8 to 9. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed among the peoples of all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 pounds of silver to the king's administrators into the royal treasury. So let's create genocide of this people group, which I don't like, because they have no interest in being part of what you're doing in the kingdom. And so Haman is the number two guy to the king, and he uses his relationship to manipulate the king because the king has a Jewish queen, and he loves Esther in his approximation. He loves Esther. You have Esther over here. She's a Jewish queen. He doesn't say it's these people. He manipulates the king because one guy wouldn't bow down and worship him. Boy, this is like narcissism overload. What a great Mother's Day message, right? <laughs> so now Haman uses the relationship to get what he wants. And like a two-year-old, these people will do anything they want. Kick, scream, fight, punch to get everything that they want. And if you look at their relationships, you will see body bags lined up behind these types of people because I will kill you and not care and I will move on. I will break you emotionally, I will break you spiritually, I will break you physically. I will do everything I can because you are nothing to me. You are simply something to be used to get what I want to do. So Haman is willing to do an entire cultural genocide because this guy stepped on his ego and didn't bow down and worship him. So he manipulates the king. The king had no idea what was going on, and this, of course, this guy signs it, right? He's like, okay, sure. Maybe if you're in the party, we don't need drunk and get any sign stuff, right? So he gets manipulated. He now has to deal with this creed, this issue that just went out, and Haman is now in the middle of this. To have your relationships with these types of villains in your life in which they will do anything to get ahead. We see this often in the workplace. We see it often there, right? I'm willing to cut you. I'll be willing to take your credit. I will chop you down and get what I want. When we think of relationships, we see them there as well. I'm willing to beat you down because you are worth nothing to be able to advance and get what I want. It happens in families. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. These relationships, you ask the question, why am I in? Why are we in any relationships when they're toxic, right? We already talked about that. So why would anybody be in a relationship like this? Here's the problem. The problem is that these people don't view humanity the way God does. I'm going to take a step further and push a little further, okay? Because I cannot have a microphone. I'm going to push harder. These people don't see races as equal to them. They don't see political parties as valuable. They just take people groups and say they are not as good, and they don't see humans as image bearers. Let me be clear. I'm not saying we have to agree on everything. That's not a point that I'm making. We can disagree. I'm sure we all disagree politically right now and disagree about masks, disagree about health. That's not about disagreeing, it's about value. It's about value. It's about you are an image bearer. I don't care what color your skin is, my friend. You're an image bearer made in the image of God. Because the church for too long has done terrible things with 
Jewish who don't say agree with them on points. And we have said, you are an enemy and we're the winners. You are the villain and we're the heroes. But when it comes to image bearing, God says, my children are my children. I love all of you. I don't care about your past. I love you. I don't care about your sins. I love you. I don't care about those things because Jesus Christ fixes all them if you will come to him in the gospel. That's the most important thing for my children is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we ever start to get the weird in and they're out and start thinking, you're going to start to see Haman's type life. I'm this, you're that. That is not the way of God. If we can see as image bearers, and if we don't agree on everything, that's cool. I'm cool with that. Nick and I don't agree on a lot of stuff, actually. <laughs> Especially with the sports teams. And we love Chicago and Denver fans here in our church, right? I mean, <clears throat> But when it comes to these type of relationships, which are willing to leave body bags and say, you are just a tool to be used for what I want to move forward, that is not the way of God. God values every human life because they're made in God's image. And if the church fought with and lived this wisdom, I, if we've been doing this for a long time, maybe the church is waking up. But let's just say, what if the church has been doing this since it began? I don't know if we'd still be in the same problem that we're in right now. Because in my conversations with people who are outside the church, and it's like you, who might be in church, or like, hey, I'm just going to tell you guys for the first time, and great, super intense message, thanks, Jason. But if, if you've been like, I'm done with church, that's where all of my friends are because of this exact topic. The church uses and abuses, and they put body bags, and they say, this is right, and here are all this, and let's just stop and love people. And let the gospel of Jesus Christ speak love. There is a truth to the gospel that those who call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Those who do not call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be separated. But it also says, you are not to be the judge of that. You are supposed to go and love everybody as valued image bearers. So church, mosaic, we are here to love and love makes. Love, love, love. You don't Kill anybody when you love them. When there's you love, there's not body base. When you love, you're not really manipulating to move ahead. You have to first start with love. Which leads me to Mordecai. Mordecai's in this story, and he's this, this cousin of Esther. Now she her parents die, she's an orphan, he takes her in as a caretaker. And Mordecai is an interesting character. Because Mordecai speaks wisdom, but Mordecai does something that maybe we wouldn't normally think. He says this, in his wisdom, he says, hey, Esther, you need to go die for all of your people. I love you, but you need to go give your life as a sacrifice so our Jewish people can live. Totally not what you think wisdom would be, but let's look at Esther 4, 8, or 4, 12 to uh, 14, says this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back his answers. Do not think because you're in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. This is about them all being the genocide. For if you remain silent at this time, relief, uh, relief and deliverance of the Jews will rise to another place. So you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai says, look, Esther says, I'm not going before the king. If I go before the king, I'm immediately dead, which is the truth he did. If I go before the king without being called, I'm dead. So 
I can't go. And Lord Christ, here's the thing I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah, maybe you're going to live for that. But no, you're all going to get wiped out. And there you thought this, that this isn't about you, Esther, but God brought you to this place actually to save the Jewish people for just such a time as this. That you're here for a unique role for right now. Now this just oozes wisdom because my first emotional response to somebody I love is to protect them. There's a term that we use for moms to protect their children. We call them mama bears, right? Mama bears, you do not mess with my cubs or you will get a fall across the head. Right? Mama bears, they protect their children. There's, there's an instinct within love to protect those that I love. But Mordecai goes beyond that and he loves to the point of sacrifice. And in his wisdom, he says this, maybe you're called to be the one to save the Jewish people. Look at that complete contrast for our first two characters. Xerxes is narcissistic, and he's out here doing anything he wants and get what he wants. Haman, narcissistic, but doesn't value humanity. Genocide, wipe them all out because they wouldn't worship me. Now you have Mordecai who says, maybe you're supposed to give your life to sacrifice to save others. That is a quite a turn in our story. Because Mordecai uses his relationships to save others and worship God. Are you in relationships of people who speak this kind of wisdom into your life that are willing to say really hard things to you and say things that maybe you don't like? Because a lot of times when wisdom comes, we're honest, we don't like it. Kind of like taking medicine, like, ooh, I don't like that. But it's wisdom and it's a good word. Tell us in Proverbs that wisdom cries aloud in the street, that wisdom is out there, but we don't listen to it. But when we have people in our lives that speak wisdom, it looks completely different because these wise speakers, it's not about information, it's about wisdom. How to practically put into play what is best. And for us as people and as a church family that has a biblical worldview, it's the Word of God. So when we can speak wisdom, it comes from the Word of God. If I give advice, it happens all the time with us as pastors. When I give advice, and it's emotionally filled, and I'm on a tirade, and I'm all frustrated, just throw that out because it's trash. When I slow down and I speak the word of God and say, you know, the word, and let me just let's slow down and pray about this. I need wisdom. There's a different response because just because I'm on staff doesn't mean I have any different. I feel emotional. I feel like human. And my emotional response to Mordecai, I would say this. Uh, Save your daughter, save her, save, save the queen. Don't give her up as a sacrifice, but that wasn't God's wisdom. God's wisdom then says she goes in, she goes before the queen, the king. The king finds out about what's going on. Wait, what did Haman do? I didn't hear anything about this. He finds out he does not kill Esther. In fact, he takes out Haman and his family, and everybody gets wiped out from Haman's side, and the Jewish people are not destroyed. Because of one young lady's response. Esther had people around her who were wise. Xerxes had people around him who were foolish. And each of us in our lives have a weird, interesting blending of both, don't we? We have people in our lives who speak wisdom, we have people in our lives who speak foolishness. But my question to you, and I'll go back to you again, is this Proverbs 13 20 says this. Become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. How's your life going? 
I used to run by the wisdom is run by foolishness. Are you serving this? Maybe you're the one with the story that your relationships are based on your pleasure. Maybe your payment and relationships are based on using other people for advancement. Maybe you're more tired. You're in relationships to help serve and bring glory to God. Fill us the heroes around us every single day. For you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.